when I finished the Musk biography, I was like, okay, I, this was fun. Like, what else should we read? Um, so I got into uh, there's another book in between. Oh, Chip War. Um, I finished Chip War. It was sitting on my shelf uh, for a while, and I just like, all right, well, let's continue this momentum that I have. Uh, that was a really good book. That's just about the um, the importance of uh, chip manufacturing with regards to the countries that possess the greatest abilities. Um, and really the U S has, has fallen behind or, you know, had stretches of falling behind to Southeast Asian countries. Um, so that was a really interesting book. Um, now I am on the book called Titan, which is a biography of John D Rockefeller senior, um, which I was put onto that, that book by listening to the Standard Oil episode of the Acquired podcast, which is an amazing, amazing podcast. Um, helps me fall asleep, but I, I don't know if that's a good thing for the hosts. Like, if if I told those hosts, like your help, your podcast helps me fall asleep. Like, is that a compliment or is that an insult? To me, it's like the highest form of compliment because it's so calming and 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 captivating that your brain gets drawn into the story and it drifts asleep. Um, but I can, you know, I, I put it on a one hour timer and usually I'm knocked out. <clears throat> but, but anyway, yeah, the Standard Oil episodes of the Acquired Podcast are really good. They're based on the the, the book Titan. Um, so that's what I'm uh, currently uh, dabbling with. Um, yeah, one of the uh, one of the podcasts I make for for kids often in the Apple reviews has. I love your podcast. It put me to sleep <laughs> as well, and I'm I always look at it and I'm like. Oh, I th- I think thanks. It's a good. It's a compliment for sure. Um, I'll remember that. I remember that. I mean, that's uh, a goal that I don't know if our podcast will help put people because they're short, and so they'll probably end before um, you have the chance to. Because it's got to be somewhat long form, so the acquired episodes are about three hours long. Um, so I don't know. We've we've got to work our way to to putting people to sleep. I'm not sure if we're doing a great job at that. <laughs> we'll have to run a survey or something. I mean, that's a that's a, a good chat to have, isn't it? Like, what's the ideal length? How yeah. how long is something? Because we're not, I guess, podcasts for me come from like a radio world where you've got 30 minutes for a program uh, and you kind of need to fit it within that time because the news is on at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you've got to be wrapped up and finish, finished. Right. Um yeah, I couldn't. I don't think I have the attention span for a three-hour podcast. Yeah, no, my lungs would give out like for you know, an hour <laughs> in. I, I can't talk that long. Uh, it's definitely a good uh, vocal exercise to be doing these podcasts. You would think I talk a lot, like because I talk a lot on these podcasts. You would think I talk like this in re- uh, in real life. No, I do not. I speak very little words in in real life. Um, just 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 what I need to get by and <clears throat> order food or something or. You know, at home I'm, I'm congenial. I mean, but um, speaking a lot is not necessarily my my strong suit. Well, you're doing great, Mo. You're doing <laughs> you're doing brilliant, um, and that leads us on quite nicely to this. Hey, welcome to the Standard Notes podcast. Standard Notes is the end-to-end encrypted note-taking app that keeps all of your stuff safe. My name is Adam. In every episode, we go behind the scenes to chat about Standard Notes. Mo's here, he's the founder. And this episode is all about building in public. Mo, ever since I've been added to the Standard Notes Twitter or X account, the 
algorithmic gods have been at play and have been serving me posts from entrepreneurs. And there's a theme, there's something that I've been uh, exposed to in the tech community, which is this idea of, of building in public. Um, you've spoken before about wanting to ship things rather than talk about shipping things. Uh, we've also spoken about kind of radical transparency. Uh, what's your view on on building public? Are you a build in public person? I mean, in my opinion, most people should build in public unless you have like a PR firm at your disposal. You've raised twenty million dollars. You have a PR firm. In most cases, you should definitely be building in public because that is the the only, especially if you're a, a bootstrapper or indie hacker, whatever you want to call it. It's the only viable marketing path you'll have is to build in public because you're you're probably not going to have a lot of media connections. You're not going to be great or even have the time for reaching out to media publications. I mean, that has been the worst part of my job at any point is trying to get in touch with media people. I loathe that process and I don't do well at it because it's 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 a long game. And I, I, whenever I would try to play it, it's like something that I try to play as a short game and it just doesn't work like that. So you naturally have to be like a very networky type person who <clears throat> reach, you know, follows up with people on their birthdays and says, Hey, thinking of you, like, I'm not that kind of person. I should be, I, I've realized that it's important to be that kind of person. Um, and, and probably, um, uh, yeah, it's probably too late for me, but, um, it definitely would have helped in a lot of uh, areas to have been that kind of person. Uh, but yeah, building public, it was Center Notes' um, default mode of operation. And it, it came from learning how not to do things from previous projects. Because previous projects I'd undertaken, there was always building in private. And then you planned for this monumental release date where everything was going to change, like your life was going to change on like January 12th or something like, um, so, and a lot of companies still do this. It's like they're in stealth mode and then they plan for a release date. But the truth is what you'll find is that nothing happens on release day. In fact, release days will be the worst days of your life because you have so much expectation, um, so much hope for overwhelming reception of the world to stop everything that they're doing to focus solely on you. And when that doesn't happen, when you generally just get crickets, it's very defeating. And in some cases will be so defeating that you just don't want to, will we'll give up on the product. And I've had products that I'd, I'd worked on for six months, had a release day. The release day sucked because I was stupid. Um, and I just gave up on that day. I was like, you know what? I'm done. Uh, this product doesn't deserve me anymore. <laughs> like you, you sort of spite it. Um, so I learned from those experiences to have anything but a release date. Do not have release date. Do not have launches. Um, do not. Um, so Santa Notes, I don't believe I've ever submitted it to Product Hunt. I never submitted it to Hacker News. Very unlike other products in, in the past that I've worked on was always like you put a checklist of like launch date, submit to product hunt, submit to Hacker News, submit to Reddit, tweet. I didn't do any of that for standard notes. Um, and it worked 
in a sense, because one, I didn't put all my eggs into this single day basket that was going to change my life. Instead, I said, well, let's just have, you know, instead of a single launch day, let's just launch every day, like in a sense. Um, every day is is an event where new new feature was added, a new commit was added, a new thought was had on the on behalf of the philosophy of the product or the company. Um, so we never had a launch day for Standard Notes. Instead, we built in public. But, you know, even that, it, I, I didn't have any following um, before Standard Notes. And even now, like, I, I again, we talked about this in the last episode or some episode ago that I'm not, I don't do well enough to capitalize on building my personal brand or anything because I, I don't really care. I want to, I want to build the company's, the product's brand for sure. Um, but, in the beginning, I didn't even want you to know who I was. I didn't want you to. I didn't want you to care who I was or, or you know, what I think. I want you to look. You know, standard. I, I want to put that into standard notes, and I want you to like standard notes. It doesn't matter who's behind it. Um, and and you know, even the things we're doing today. Um, the, I do this for standard notes. I don't do this because I want you to 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 like me or know who I am. Um, in fact, I don't like doing this. Um, I. Yeah, in a sense, you know, I, I, you do it because it, it comes as part of the job description. Um, but ideally, I don't really think it's possible to to accomplish uh, big growth without going out there and 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 talking on behalf of the product. <clears throat> so I, I think eventually you'll have to come to terms with that. Uh, but ideally, um, the the thought the the thought for me was early on. It's like, how big of a company could I build? If 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 I didn't care about me, if I didn't care about building a personal brand, if I didn't care about building a Twitter following, um, so yeah, back then I I didn't have a a a following of any sort to rely on to launch my product. <clears throat> what I did have was a very strong belief in the mission of our product. Because what it was from day one was a belief more than anything. It was the belief in the outrageousness of the privacy policies of companies at the time. And it was a very, it was a fire within me because the product, the V1, the V0 product was nothing special. All it had was encryption. The rest was very basic. Um, But what we had that really no one else had was this very, um, fierce belief in how software should be, how privacy should be. And that's that was my build in public approach, which was writing about those things and sharing those writings on, um, you know, Hacker News. Um, some of them got made it to the front page, um, sharing them on Medium, on Reddit, and yeah, eventually these things compound. I I can't look back and say any one thing that made the difference. It's like, I really don't know how we got to where we are. I don't know. Um, but it's kind of like, I, I think that's how life would have you have it, is that you'll never quite see um, where the magic happens. Um, that's always hidden to you because really the magic is the compounding of time. It's the compounding of actions. Um, that result in magic. Um, you know, it's kind of like Emerson, uh, who says, which we talked about, Emerson, um, 
says, you know, when, when he thinks back to his, how he's ascended to where he is today, he can't point to any particular calendar day where everything changed. He can't figure it out. And he's like, it must be somewhere in the gaps where the interstices, I think he says, of, of uh, there's some some magic interspersed in our day-to-day that we don't see. Um, and, and so, yeah, the benefit of building in public is that you don't have to strategize too much about what you're going to say, when you're going to say it, how important it is for you to say it. In fact, everything you say is just as important as the thing you say the next day. So the blog post you spent a couple of days working on that means so much to you, you have to just let it go as absolute as a tweet, like as, as just a, an empty thought. And if you have that approach, then you don't stand to be discouraged. Because for me, the biggest fault that I had in, in launching previous products was always the sense of discouragement you get when you don't see results um, the results you're expecting. So the first thing you do is you shed any expectations that you have. But second, th- you you because you're building in public, the things you do on a day-to-day basis are so small that you don't feel any sort of sadness if they're not necessarily received in some sort of like super congratulatory sense. Because it's just, it was just a day's effort. You're like, okay, well, this blog post, nothing happened, but it was a day's effort. So tomorrow I'll do another blog post or I'll do another tweet or I'll do another feature or commit or anything. And you do that every day through the course of hundreds and thousands of days. Eventually they will compound. They will start to have an effect. They will end up getting to a lot of upvotes on Reddit, one of them or getting to the front page of Hacker News, getting tweeted by someone with a lot of followers, getting its way onto Google, um, first page of search results. It'll start to compound. And of course, word of mouth, these are the things you can't really design for. um, But if you take it day by day, these things start to compound. And so building in public, I I would say for, I don't have any experiences building a VC-backed company, so I can't speak on their behalf but I, I will say that for bootstrapped companies, it's one of the most only viable um, strategies, unless you think you are the type who can woo journalists and have some kind of crazy network of journalists you can reach out to on, and they'll all publish a story on on a single day. But otherwise, I don't know that there's a lot of merit to building in stealth. Like what is... It's only fear. The only reason you build in stealth is fear or insecurity. Uh, I, I can't imagine any other reason. But fear is nonsense. I mean, the fear that someone will copy you, which, I mean, I'm, I'm someone to speak because I struggle with this um, with regards to like the open source licensing, uh, the fear of being copied is, is real. But I could definitely say that no one will copy you. Um. <clears throat> Well, well, let's say you're building an AI product right now. Maybe there's a fear that if if your product is overly simple, it might be copied. But again, any any risks are easily outweighed by the benefits you get by building in public and building a following. And again, building in public, the content that you produce is just very good content. And it's better than any manufactured piece of content you would... Um, I, I think it's more natural content. So if, if you were to compare two types of content, you have 
natural organic content, which is the content that is just produced by you working. And the output is, uh, is, is, is usable. It's, it's not poop. It's, it's like the, the output of your energy expenditure is actually gold. Like it's very interesting. It's behind the scenes. People find that very interesting because it's unproduced. It's precisely for that reason that people find it interesting because it, it doesn't try to be polished and people get to see a more humane and, uh, honest representation of your work and there's a shortage there's always a shortage of that there will always be a shortage of that and building in public uh produces content that people yearn for that people don't get enough of because everyone optimizes for polish typically um so yeah building in public if you're not a good marketer if you don't if you're not good at setting up um content schedules then building in public allows you to avert the crisis of launch days and also to produce organic natural content with very little effort. And these things, um, if you stick with them, it's very hard to do wrong. It's very hard to mess up, I think, compared to launch days. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely in my life kind of <clears throat> fallen into this, this launch day trap, if you like. Uh, I did quite a, a big thing probably the the biggest thing of my life so far um a few years ago in in 2021 um no it wasn't 2022 it's so big i can't remember the date in 2022 where uh with a, a radio station in the uk we sent a, a radio program to space and it was the first radio program that we sent to space and we did a, a big ceremony for it um at an observatory in London. We had somebody there to kind of push a big red button. And I literally remember standing at the back. There were there was press there standing at the back going, doing the countdown to the big red button push moment, hitting one, everybody pushes the button, and then thinking, oh, fuck, the last like six months of my life that I've spent building this thing is now done. Uh, I don't know kind of what I was anticipating. I, I To be on the front page the following day, I don't know, like national hero Adam has sent radio program to space. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it was it was a real kind of shocking moment where it was like, okay, I've spent half a year doing this and now it's done. <laughs> and yeah. it, and what do I have to show for it? It's a radio program in space. <laughs> like there's nothing, there's nothing there. Um, one of the things that I find so tantalizing about building public is that it makes it look easy. Um, you know, I think about perhaps something like a tree. You look at a tree, you can see the bark, but every year there's another growth ring. And it's almost like every day there's another growth ring um, when you when you build in public. Is that is that something that you can kind of identify with? Do you get pulled in with how easy it looks to build something? I'm not sure if so. When I see people building in public, I'm not sure if I get the impression that it's easy. Maybe that's because I've endeavored to do the same, and you know just how hard things are. But I mean, nothing is you know 
in the sense that if the goal of someone is to undertake something because they're hoping it would be easy, you've already failed. You've you failed tremendously. Just save your time and energy and don't. Um, you know, you understand that anything is going to be extremely difficult. Um, and, I, and usually the, the, the most difficult factor will just be you. Because again, if we were robots, in a lot of sense, past the point of generating an idea that you'd like to solve or a problem space you'd like to participate in, past that point, for the first year, it's relatively very easy to know what you need to do. It's just like you're just building V1. Like it's such a powerful goal that um, for most people, if you have the technical ability or a team with the technical ability, it's very easy to... Um, again, the way I define ease is not by the ease of problem solving. Problem solving by its very name is is difficult. It's it's laborious, it's time consuming, it produces stress. But to me, that's a good kind of stress. That's that's an enjoyable stress. Um my my friend who is building a in a physical business, he's he's building like a, a music store. Um, he's remarked that he, he's found two types of stress that he has to deal with, type A and type type B. Type A is a stress where you know exactly what you need to do for the day, but it's overwhelming. There's so much to do. You, can't, you, you, you don't know how you're going to finish it all. And type B is a stress you get when you actually don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how things are going to map out. Um, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. And for me, it was like obvious, like just immediate. It's like, oh, type A stress. I live for that kind of stress. The kind of stress where you're overwhelmed with work. You don't know how you're going to finish. The days are full. You're stressed about how difficult the problems are. Or yeah, these are this is a great type of stress. The worst type of stress is obviously the existential kind that um, you, you don't know if what you're doing matters. You don't know if yeah, even if even the kind of fear that a lot of early product, uh, early in the life cycle of the product, you might have a fear of, I don't know if my product will resonate in the market. That's more of a type A stress. Um, and so I think the good thing, so type A stress in this case is very good for product uh, development, but type B will completely halt everything in your life. You don't want that kind of stress. When you're building a product, uh, when you're getting to V0 or V1, <clears throat> It'll almost exclusively be type A stress where there's just so much to do. You don't know how you're going to finish it. And to me, that's just fuel um, that allows you to build. And it, it's, it's, it's a thrill. Um, so I think it's, you know, if you were to ask the question, why do not more people go into starting a V0 product or a V1 product or, or building public? Well, there's a lot of people. Um, maybe that's the the, the algos uh, funneling those people to me now, but you see, it, it seems to be a lot of people, but probably not as much as as you kind of want to say. Why doesn't everyone do it? Um, I don't know. That that isn't the question at hand. But uh, you know, if we were to answer that question, really, it, it would be probably a lack of courage and a lack of uh, creativity. But creativity, honestly isn't really something you're born. I don't know if you're born. I never used to think of myself as a creative person growing up, uh, but I would I would probably call myself a little creative now. It's just something you practice, to be honest. Um, you just try things and 
the next thing you try something a little different. And by the time you've tried a thousand, hundred things, uh, you learn creativity. Um, you learn how to approach the next thing with a slightly different angle. You tilt your head a little bit and you see it in a different light. So I, I definitely think it's practice, but yeah, I, I don't know that um, easiness should be expected. Um, I think it is in fact difficult, um, but it's very rewarding. And um, yeah, building in public is is very default. Um, it almost it's almost like cheating because you don't have to do anything. You just have to narrate. You just narrate the work as you go, and it's a great marketing strategy. I think that as well, it's that that kind of type B existential crisis sort of stress is if you have that and you're building in public and you have the the confidence or courage to say, I'm not sure if any of this kind of really matters. You get kind of instant immediate feedback uh, from sort of everyone that's following your journey. And somebody, uh, I've forgotten his surname, uh, but Anton is somebody that I've been sort of spying on as as he builds in public, um, kind of building some quite cool tools that that interface with a lot of Apple stuff. So the ability to publish blogs from iMessage, for example. So it's just like you're texting a friend and up it goes. Um, is that is that feedback valuable? to you when the standard notes community kind of speaks back if you like is is that something that you find helpful do you enjoy that early on the the fact that anyone engages with you is is very rewarding um but at some point um yeah early on it's very valuable because it helps in shaping the product but i don't know how valuable it is really in retrospect and you know this is a a common debate amongst software developers and creators is that how valuable is is community feedback? It's like do you take the Steve Jobs approach of believing the customer doesn't know what they want, we have to build it, and then they'll see it, or do you take a customer driven iterative approach? There's a trap there for sure. I, I can I can see the trap in in listening to customers because. On the one hand, it's very valuable to listen to customers when it comes to bug fixes, because that's very like serious. It's like, okay, well, there's a bug in something that should work, but shouldn't work. Yeah, that's great. But then there's an, a whole other channel of feedback where it's like, I wish your app could do this, and I wish it had this feature like this other app does. And it's not their fault that they're sharing this with you, and it's not your fault for believing them, it's the belief you might have that new features matter at all. Um, it's the belief that building um, incremental features matters. It's when it doesn't. Um, it's very counterintuitive, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I, I sound like I'm like a nihilistic here about software development. In my experience, it hasn't mattered from V1 to V4 almost is where we're at now. Um, there's been hundreds of new features. None of it has mattered in, in any practical sense. Um, none of it has, if we have grown, it's not because we added uh, uh, the files feature, for example, or this feature, or that feature. You will grow only by your marketing efforts. It's very 
disheartening for me to hear because it's the exact opposite of what I want to hear, which is what I'd love to hear is that you will grow by the number of features you add. If you grew, if a software product grew by the number of lines of code you could write, oh man, I would be a trillionaire. Like if it were based on the number of features you wrote and how many things you could squeeze into your product compellingly. Yeah. I'd, I'd be hitting up Elon Musk for, for late night conversations, but alas, um, it's not it. It, it, it. I'm very stubborn about learning that fact. Um, it doesn't matter what features you ship past V1, usually. Um, at that point, it's the marketing, it's the distribution that matters, um, which again is an unsolved problem in most cases. Marketing and distribution, there is no one size fits all. There is no, aside from raising a ton of money and, and pouring it all into ads, there is no um, book you could read, as far as I know, that will teach you exactly what you need to do. It's just something you need to. I'm not the right person to speak on marketing uh, at all, so I'll stop right there. But um, the the features that that's a trick about building in public, perhaps, is that well, what are you building typically? What do you build in public? You build features in public. So if you get too addicted to that approach then you might think that what got you there will get you to where you need to go next, but that's not the case. And so perhaps if you get too addicted to building in public, um, the only thing there is to build in public is usually features and code. Um, whereas I, how do you build marketing in public? That doesn't kind of make sense because it's like a double marketing type thing. It's like you write a blog, you write a tweet, but then you write another tweet about how you wrote that tweet. It starts to get really recursive um, so I, I, I think it's very useful to bootstrap your, your marketing efforts by building in public. I don't know how far it'll get you. It depends on your goals. If your goal is to be an indie hacker, <clears throat> um, an indie hacker is someone who, who plans on being a single person operation more or less for the foreseeable future. Like they're just interested in just building an income for themselves, replacing their job and just hacking away on products and doing that. And and no interest necessarily in building a team of other engineers. If that's your goal, um, building public will never, will never cease to be useful to you. That, that it, it will have infinite fruits. Whereas if your goal is to build a company and a team if your goal is to build very vertically on a single product, then I think that building in public will will just be a, a viable marketing channel, but it won't be something that's going to be hugely uh, make a huge difference to your growth avenues. And at that point, you, you'll need to pursue a different. In fact, you might need to stop building in public because you, you'll try to build an image for your brand based on other marketing efforts that you have, uh, how you want to appear in a blog, how you want to appear in videos, how you want to appear in tweets. In that case, a lot of companies stop building public and, and, and start to have a very polished presence. And you might think that they're sort of losing their touch, but in a sense, you start to see that as companies get bigger and bigger, they become more and more polished. And so maybe that is a necessity. Maybe that's a requirement for scaling is, is for you to be a little less scrappy looking um, and you know that that's a, a contentious area for us is that we can look scrappy at V0 and V1 and it's attractive but to look scrappy now 
might look bad for a company like ours who who stands to benefit from from a more mature stable uh sort of parental um rather than childish appearance um and um yeah i don't know not to say that either one is manufactured it's just like you know how do you want how do you want to be perceived um so yeah building public definitely useful um to become an in, if you want to be an indie hacker one i don't know i don't know I, you know for example i thought that this is a whole other conversation but i will say as quickly as i can that there usually is not a lot you're either an indie hacker or you're you're someone who needs to build a huge company there there there's surprisingly no in between you might think there's something called a small business but I don't think there can be. I don't think a company uh, feels good existing in the middle. It either tries to be really, really small or it tries to be really, really big. Um, and somewhere in the middle, I mean, if Basecamp, if, let's say if Jason heard this, he might say, oh, we're in the middle. No, you're big. Like you're you're really big. Like, you know, a hundred person company is pretty big, but you know, a five or six person company you can't just stay there for for 10 20 years um as in, in my limited perspective it, it's not a it's a place that you try to ch- change from so if you are building a one person company figure out before you hire your first person figure out if that's if you're ready to go from 1 to 100 there's no going from 1 to 2 cuz here's what happens in a one-person company, which Shannon notes was for a long time, um, you start to get tired. Uh, you start to not be able to keep all the balls in the air. You start to get exhausted and you start needing help. And so you're like, oh, let me bring someone on. And um, at that point, you stop becoming an indie hacker, a, a, I don't know, bootstrapper, and you become on the on the fast path towards uh, building a real company, right? Let's build a real company now. No more of this me doing everything nonsense. Let's have specialized roles for everyone. Well, what happens is that you you start spending a lot on payroll. Um, the whole reason indie hacking works is because you you keep everything. Um, your costs are you keep costs very low, so that it's all pure profit, and the profit becomes a lot uh, because it's just you. But if you start hiring engineers, um, the margins become lower and lower. And so you need to grow more. Um, you, you now have five or six people on your team. You you are um, you went from revenue level A, and now you've hired six people. Your revenue level maybe has improved a little bit, but now you need to double your revenue level to to pay for these six people. Um, and you, you never quite escape that cycle. It's like, okay, well now you've grown your revenue, so you hire more people. You have to do so much more to grow that revenue, so hire more people. Um, that cycle never quite ends. And so my advice to anyone who's in a, in a position to consider what kind of lifestyle they want is before you make your first hire, figure out if you want to go on the company trajectory or you want to stay indie profitable the rest of your life. Um but if you want to be an indie hacker, you really have to commit to it. It's hard because you have to do everything. And hiring more people doesn't usually solve the problem. It usually makes things even harder. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. These are things that I would ask myself uh, starting early on is what what is the trajectory that I would have undertaken? 
Um, because when you hire your first person, you're not really thinking of, oh, am I changing the the trajectory of my company? No, you're just changing. You're just thinking to yourself, I'm just going to get more help. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but no, in fact, you are committing to a deviation from the um, a huge deviation from uh, the 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 requirements that will be placed upon you as a company to not stay. Because indie people can stay where they are for the rest of their lives, and it makes sense, kind of. But companies, by their very definition, just need to continually grow and grow and grow. And um, yeah, these are trade-offs that uh, I think one needs to decide on when when pursuing a company. The heavens have opened here in rainy old England, and as you were talking, I was aware that I was just getting darker and darker yeah, on the yeah, screen. I, that. I might turn that on, but then the problem is that I'm going to look entirely different. No, it looks good. And I think in a, in a really nice way, we've kind of come almost full circle. You were talking about uh, about the need for kind of scrappy companies to grow up, I suppose. Uh, and I think it immediately makes me think of Twitter, of X, uh, started out as this kind of scrappy SMS thing, sort of blew up one day at South by Southwest, becomes this massive global phenomenon. Uh, Elon Musk purchases it. Uh, Lots of the staff decide to either walk out or he kind of gets rid of them. And then it almost starts again they've rebranded from something that was very solid from a marketing perspective very stable into something that's a bit more scrappy quite literally i think when you look at the logo it looks you know it's a unicode character um and i've seen tweets or posts from the now ceo from elon musk building in public deciding what you know what the next feature should be uh talking about how they're changing the algorithm talking about how they're um building verification options learning in public as well quite literally because some of those verification options have failed miserably some of them are relatively successful he's talking about building a a revenue stream from something that I don't think previously had turned a profit at all. I still don't think it turns a profit, but it might be more on that trajectory. Um, Would you say Elon Musk is the ultimate build in public human? You know, I I struggle with this. Um, So Elon's brands, for example, are very comfortable taking um, image risks that I, so for example, Tesla's bio on, uh, I, I don't know what it is now, but maybe a year ago with 40 million followers or something, it, it, it used to be something like very professional reading, but now it was, it was like uh, electric, all lowercase, electric cars, space, comma, solar, all lowercase. And it's very like um, hip, kind of like, not hip, but it was very like, um, casual any brand that tweets all lowercase is taking on a huge risk um using emojis being goofy telling you know sharing memes um i don't know if all companies can do that without completely annihilating their brand with elon he can in a in a sense because he's i don't know if he's earned it or he's he's 
I don't know why he could pull it off, but for some reason he pulls it off. But if another big brand like Apple starts sharing memes, for example, tweeting in lowercase, tweeting at all, um, it's it starts to change the perception you have of their very rigorous aesthetic to science and art and engineering, which which is incompatible with comedy in a sense, with self-awareness. Now, is that an irrational fear? Could Apple become um, self-aware? Sometimes they are like in their keynotes, but those are the humans delivering these messages. So they're sometimes self-aware, which we kind of like to see actually, like um, uh, when Craig, in, I think it was this latest uh, keynote address, he's like, sometimes you just want to say a ducking word. He's talking about autocorrect, where I'm trying to say the F word, it corrects the ducking. So you, you kind of like to see that self-awareness. Okay, it's like they know that we can't swear on their phones without it getting corrected. Um, <clears throat> but maybe that's the exception there, that because they do it so inoften, um, it works. So I really hate, for me, I'm the worst person to have to, to, to give me this problem to solve. I'm the worst person because I'm a chronic overthinker and it leads to paralysis. Because I can't figure out whether we should be funny or self-aware or dead serious on social media, we, it results in a paralysis that leads to the safest option possible, which is to be as, um, not to take any risks at all by just having no content. That's not the primary reason, of course, it's, um, but that definitely plays a, a part into why we're, we're so sort of um, reclusive on social media. It's because I'm sort of like that and uh, because of the risks, um, on the other hand, you might say, well, the risks to being quiet are probably greater. And you, you might be right, but it's hard for me to internalize that. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think it may be a sort of pendulum where if too many polished companies exist, you start craving some scrappiness. And so Elon comes and fills that void very effectively. But if all of a sudden every company becomes as scrappy as Elon, all of a sudden, people are going to be like, please give us some polish, guys. Like, Give us some refined taste and how you produce content. So it might be just somewhere like differentiating yourself. Look, if everyone's just super polished, then maybe you'll gain some market ground by being super scrappy. But if everyone's super scrappy, you'll gain some ground by being super polished. I think it's up to you to determine what differentiates you. Um, I think differentiation is important in general in marketing because you can't produce the same thing everyone else is producing. Um, so that may be it. That may be what what helps Elon stand out is he's just so different. He manifests that in all his brands and it works and people crave that sort of honesty from brands, which we don't get because everyone's so serious, press conferences and suits and ties and corporate statements and, and like a rehearsed teleprompter, all this. Um, people craved, I mean, even if, if if you took the US presidential elections of 2016, it seems like there was a craving for spontaneity, even amongst presidential candidates. People liked it for some reason. Um, people took it as honest because they were, perhaps they, the whole teleprompter thing just got so monotonous that people craved a little bit of honesty. Um, so I, I think that's still an opportunity is, is that level of honesty. Um, but I think the bigger you are, well, I don't know. I wanted to say the bigger you are, the, the, 
the more you could get away with it, perhaps, because let's say you're a, a $500 billion company, you tweet out some bit of honesty and it's backfires. Well, worst case, you lose like a fraction of a fraction of a percent of your revenue. That's nothing. But if you're a company like ours and we say something that alienates a huge swath of people and it you know eliminates 1% of, not saying, I don't know how one thing maps to the other, but we stand to lose more. At least that's the way I view it. I'd love to have my mind changed for sure because that would break us out of our uh, content, uh, social media rut. But yeah, probably the best. Our social media struggles because I'm in, I'm uh, historically I'm the one that's supposed to be tweeting. Um, it just never makes it never makes sense to hire a full time marketer for us because it's it's like you're not going to be able to fill forty hours tweeting for standard notes. There's just not that much tweets to be had. Um, so it's definitely tricky for us, I would say. And I think that's the the beautiful thing about building public is that we're all still we're all still working it out. Uh, and so you listening, you watching can um, follow along, follow the journey too. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for today as the sun slowly sets in front of me and the rain in, in miserable England begins pouring. Um, Standard Notes is the end-to-end encrypted note-taking app that keeps all of your stuff safe. You can try it for free at standardnotes.com and upgrade to unlock tons of powerful extra features too. I've been Adam, he's been Mo, and until next time, think fearlessly.